Get ready to hear some noise tonight. You're about to go behind enemy lines with the original Blues Hockey Podcast. Let's go Blues Radio. Welcome to Let's Go Blues Radio. I am your host, Jeff Ponder. This is Season 8, Episode 31, Franchise Episode, All-Time of Let's Go Blues Radio, Number 217. This is the 29th episode of Behind Enemy Lines, as we folks are under a week until the regular season begins. Man, it's, uh, it's been a summer, hasn't it? Since Crazy times, as uh, I've gotten so many episodes out. I hope you've enjoyed it. Maybe we've gained some listeners, maybe we haven't, maybe we've lost some listeners, but this has been fun. So I appreciate you tuning in for all the episodes that you've tuned in for this summer. want to thank the Wild and Free for the use of their song, Fire. I uh, want to mention, of course, for the Wild and Free to check them out on YouTube, as well as uh, on the web. And then, of course, on Spotify as well. They've released a song recently. And again, I know they've got uh, an album coming out. Uh, they've already got an LP out, which I purchased. And uh, a very happy purchase for me. It's great stuff. Um, it's called The Wild and Free, uh, The Sugar High. And uh, I, th- I believe it's got five songs on there. So you can get it on their website. I think it's the wildandfreeband.com. So check them out if you haven't done that yet. I also want to thank Tom Calhoun from PAGuyTom.com. Again, Tom is the Blues PA announcer for the St. Louis Blues. Been there for as long as I can remember. Uh, He's got that crazy game streak going. Uh, But PAGuyTom.com. Check him out if uh, if you're looking for books on tape, if you're wanting to record books on tape, or if you are uh, uh, wanting any kind of PA services, uh, Tom is the man to call. Please check out the Let's Go Blues.com shop. Consider buying a reasonably priced shirt, mug, or sticker. All proceeds go back into the show. Uh, I can speak to the fact that uh, uh, Mr. Kirk Price uh, recently stocked this with some new Stanley Cup Let's Go Blues radio stickers. So if you are interested in supporting the show, uh, check that out. Some pretty cool stuff. Uh, I haven't gotten my set from him yet, but I will be doing that because uh, they look pretty sweet. Please subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can also listen to us at letsgobluesradio.com. Give us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your shows if they ask for ratings, uh, and leave us a review. That, uh, that helps people find the show. So thank you very much for those that have done that already. Well, just a, a couple house cleaning items I want to get to. Uh, we meant to mention this on the live show last Wednesday, but we uh, we did not get to it. Uh, things got a little crazy with our guest, uh, which if you haven't listened to the episode yet, you need to. Uh, Adam Scorgi from the Making Cocoa 
documentary about Grant Fuhr uh, was on, and uh, we had a good time with him. Very knowledgeable hockey guy as well. Big Oilers fan. Uh, enjoyed that talk with him. But, uh, yeah, because of him, uh, because of him, it's like it's his fault. Uh, we didn't get to mention the Stanley Ponder Cup Memorial Tournament. Uh, again, for those of you who are interested in watching us play some roller hockey or playing roller hockey, player signups are still going November 23rd at 2 o'clock p.m. Central Daylight Time at Midwest Sport Hockey at Queenie Park. Again, player signups going on right now. Goalie spots are all taken, but I believe we have about 20 to 21 spots still open. Hockey players who are procrastinators, we all wait to the last minute to sign up for these things, I know. But uh, for those of you who are wanting to get in right now, go ahead and do it. Uh, get your spot reserved now. And also, for those of you who don't play, make sure you come out for the raffle and the beer and the food. Everything goes to bethematch.org, which uh, Blues fans should be pretty familiar with that organization now. It matches people uh, who need bone marrow transplants. It matches those people with others who uh, have the same bone marrow as them. So uh, something that uh, is near and dear to my heart, almost saved my father's life back in 2015. So I will always support them. BeTheMatch.org. And uh, if you have not signed up to be a donor, uh, it's very simple. They send you a packet. You take a cotton swab and put it in your mouth. Uh, go around the cheeks. I believe under the tongue, maybe. Send it back in, and you are registered. That's all it takes. So uh, it takes a couple minutes of your time. Just go ahead and go to BeTheMatch.org. Sign up for it. It's a very good cause, and you could save someone's life from somewhere out in the world and be someone's hero. And uh, for the raffles, for those of you who are interested in coming out, uh, I know we have a Biddington jersey. I mentioned that before. We've got some NHL tees that are going to be out there as well. I think we've got a Whalers one, maybe even a Nordiques one. And then uh, I know that there's a Team Sweden Henrik Lundqvist jersey that will be up for raffle as well. So uh, and among many things, I mean, you usually have so many that I can't possibly list them all. But those are the big uh, items I know of for sure that we have uh, coming for this right now. And there's going to be more to add. So, uh, again, you can check that out, too, over at dropinstl.com. Again, that is dropinstl.com. And uh, no slashes or anything. And uh, just go over to the tab that says uh, 2019 SPCM Tourney uh, Stanley Ponder Cup Memorial Tournament. And, uh, you know, go ahead and sign up there. Go to the bottom of the page. Pay your $50 fee if you want to play. Otherwise, all the information is there for anyone who wants to join. Love to see you out there. Uh, Kurt and Bill usually come out for that. I'm obviously there all day. So uh, 2 o'clock till about midnight, 1 o'clock-ish. Uh, I'll be out there. So, yeah, please come on out and uh, support the cause. One more thing I want to get to before we get into our first segment. Uh, I want to mention, uh, give a big call out here to Lars. Lars, I'm sorry I did not catch the name of your podcast, but Lars from, I know that the website is sportpassion.de. That is sportpassion.de. He runs a German podcast for NHL fans, and uh, he had me on to preview the St. Louis Blues. Uh, I believe he said that episode is going to air. He's going to tag me in it uh, on Twitter October 2nd, I believe he said. So uh, if you're interested in hearing uh, Lars's spin on the Blues, a, a German spin, we do talk Jokenhest, of course. Uh, make sure you tune in there. Again, It's uh, his name is Lars, sportpassion.de. If you want to follow him on Twitter, which is probably the best thing to do, 
to, since I can't give you the name of the podcast, it's at Lars underscore M-A-H. That is L-A-R-S underscore M-A-H. So again, Lars, thanks for having me on. Had a great time talking with you the other day. Well, folks, I think it's time we've uh, gotten to the first segment of the show, and this is where we're going to keep the party going. So in Keep the Party Going, this is where uh, we hear from you, the listener, and you tell me all about how you are celebrating the St. Louis Blue Moon Stanley Cup. Again, as I mentioned on the last uh, Behind Enemy Lines episode, I know it's a little odd with the season coming up now. It's probably weird to be talking about how you're celebrating still, but let's be honest here. We're all still pretty excited uh, talking to people around the city. I know that there are still people who are kind of like me, not really ready for the season to begin. I mean, we're excited for hockey. Uh, I watched the the Kraft Hockeyville game against the Red Wings and Blues the other day, but still I'm sitting there going, ah, I just am not ready. And, and it's so weird to say that because we never feel that way as Blues fans. But I know there's a couple people that agree with me that uh, not really ready for the, the summer of champions to end because uh, this was something we, we've been waiting for for so long. And it's so weird to have such a short off season as uh, Blues fans because it's obviously something we are not used to. But uh, anyway, so if you want to contribute to Keep the Party Going, again, we have one episode left. I, I do have an email to read for that, but I will gladly read more if anybody else wants to email in. This is your last chance, folks, to email in for this segment. Uh, it's radio at letsgoblues.com. Again, radio at letsgoblues.com. And again, I will gladly read as many emails as I get. So go ahead and challenge me on that. Uh, let's let's have every listener send an email in and see if I actually do it. Because I tell you what, I will. I will do it. And uh, just to spite myself, I will do it. So today we get an episode, uh, Tim. And uh, because I can never seem to get the location right, I'm just going to guess where Tim is from. Tim is from Timbuktu. He's actually named after his his home area. So uh, Tim from Timbuktu is who is writing in right now. Uh, Tim says, Mr. Ponder, guess I can't put it off any longer. I am 48. First time I noticed the note outside of the Cardinals in the Big Red was 1980-81. We were great, and I was young. Liu, Sutter, Federko, and the team were amazing. Didn't understand hockey yet, but it was fun when you're a kid. Followed the team loosely after that, mainly because of my uncle, Bob Rosenberg. He was a bit of a nut, so I loved him. In the late 70s, 80s, he looked like the Mad Hungarian. He gave me my first pair of skates and my first stick. Then came Hall. Everything changed. I wanted to fucking play. My best friend was a goaltender with CBC, Jody Sutko, and he helped me but uh, was too far along to really do too much. I taught myself. Rollerblades helped a lot. Came home from a zoo and practiced on my grade school lot. Turned into a fanatic. Knew every player. Started playing and running ice and roller teams. Devoured NHL 94. Best game ever, he says. After you could trade players in NHL 96, I had notebooks I kept of every year and all NHL player transactions to make to keep every team current. Started taping and editing every blue goal in season. Finally got season tickets in the late 90s. It was all I cared about. And, uh, man, I will I will tell you, Tim, from Timbuktu, that uh, I, 
I still play those video games. I'm such a nerd, and it's funny, you know, my brother, he's, he's 10 years older than me, and I remember about 10 years ago now, he said, um, I'm done. I can't play them anymore. They're getting too complicated. I just can't do it. And uh, I like, yeah, I'm never going to be there. And he goes, all right, why don't you talk to me in 10 years? It's 10 years later, and I'm still deeply invested in those EA Sports games. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping you still are, because maybe I'm not the only loser here. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I love them. I'm with you, man. NHL 94, NHL 96, those games were fantastic. All right, back to back to Tim. During this time, I started to notice something about my Uncle Bob and his brother Jim, the two guys I regarded as the biggest Blues fans. They didn't believe anymore. They still loved the team and knew most everything, but it wasn't the same. I would say to myself, what the F is wrong with these guys? We are so close. Then it happened to me. President's Trophy became nothing. Conference Finals in 2001 became nothing. Pronger trade. Bill Laurie. Full season loss to lockout. And I was not invested. Uh, Follow the team, but not the NHL like I used to. I was excited about drafting Tarasenko, Petrangelo, and Eric Johnson. I always knew what would happen in April and May. Then my daughter saved me. Kaylee turned it around. She became a big fan as she entered adulthood in 2016. meant a lot to her. We went to a bunch of playoff games, and her passion reignited me. Not to where it was prior, but I was invested again. And here we are. I'm not going over the season, but obviously things built to a crescendo. Highlighted by Game 6 against the Sharks with a with the aforementioned best friend, myself, and my daughter attending. One of the best nights of my life. As the game ended, I s- sat down to collect myself. I wept. I heard my daughter say, I've waited three years for this. Yep, she has. And so have all of us. Thank you, guys. I love the show. Tim. Never says where he's from. I'm going to guess St. Louis, but let's, let's go ahead and go with Tim Buck, too. Uh, Tim, um, it's funny when you say that you heard your daughter say she's waited three years for this. And it's funny, you know, you, you, you talk about the cesspool of Twitter all the time on this show. And, you know, people are, oh, you know, the, there was people who have to lose one of the cop. They're like, oh, these young fans will never understand. And there's people that were, like, angry at the newer fans who were so excited, kind of. And it's like, you know what? Man, I, I get that. I get that we've all waited our certain allotted amount of time, but it doesn't take away from the fact your daughter was a fan for three years. That's three years of really not. I mean, you look at, again, you look at this team last season, the season before, 2017, 2018, they didn't make the playoffs. So every fan at that point, and, and I would love, I need to go back and listen to one of our shows from right after they missed the playoffs, that. It's probably, oh my God, like, we already know they're not going to do anything in the playoffs, but now we can't even, like, hope that there's some weird occurrence, like a hand pass or like a five-minute major late in the third period of a, of a deciding game. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, you can't even hope that something like that will happen to make them get to the next round because they can't even make the playoffs. So, it was, man, we've got probably years until they get back there. That's the thought in everyone's in heads. And then now they're back. They're back in the playoffs. They make the Stanley Cup final, and they win the freaking cup. I mean, again, I know. Listen, I've waited my whole life. Everyone I know, every big fan I've known my whole life was so excited. But, you know, people probably laugh at that part where she said she's waited for three years. That's three years of misery uh, watching other teams skate the cup. So I'm with her. Uh, good for her being able to witness it. 
uh, just three years into uh, really being a big fan. And of course, Tim, congrats to you as well. I mean, that's uh, that's great. And I, I loved your your comments here about you know obviously playing the video games, the transactions you make to to every current team. It's funny because. I didn't do that with the NHL games. I did it with the big trades. You know, like when uh, I remember when Pavel Bore uh, moved teams. I think it was Vancouver to Florida. I remember making that deal and saying, "Oh, I got to put him on Florida now." I did that a little bit, but I did it with the hockey cards. And it's funny because you can pinpoint pretty much to the month if you look at my old hockey card collection, which I still have. Uh, when I stopped following it, because every single trade, I would get home from school. And I would go straight to my computer, any trades at all. Okay, this guy was traded. Uh, first name, for whatever reason, comes to mind, Jeff Brown, traded. Okay, he went from Vancouver to Washington. So i got to take all of his cards, even the ones of, of him with other teams, and move them over to my Washington slot. And I had them, and I still do. I, again, at this point, uh, I would say it's probably in like the 97, 98 time frame uh, of all these cards that uh, – they're they're with the correct teams, and it it was crazy. I, I became obsessed with it. It's just what I did, and um, it's funny to know that I was not the only one who was kind of crazy about that kind of stuff. And you talked about how you were taping and editing blues goals and blues games. Uh, yeah, uh, not to to self promote myself, but uh, if you check out my YouTube channel, Jay Ponder ninety four, I've got a bunch of old games that I recorded on VHS, so you could easily go on there and watch all my. Games that I, I had recorded from the late 90s, the early 2000s. Luckily, I've met a couple people who have allowed me to uh, uh, kind of upload their games. Like, there was a gentleman who gave me tapes from the 1980s, so I've uh, started uploading those games. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's crazy. I, uh, I've been a crazy fan my whole life, Tim, so I hear you from all accounts. And again, thank you for writing in. And again, if anybody else wants to write in, we have one more chance for you to write in for this segment uh, that is radio at letsgoblues.com. Well, let's get into our guests of this episode, uh, Eric and Will from The Canon, uh, which is an SB Nation blog. Uh, they are Blue Jackets guys. Uh, they come on to talk blues and Blue Jackets. Obviously, not a lot of history in the recent past, but they are former Central Division foes. So we do talk a little bit about that. Of course, our hatred for the Detroit Red Wings, because everyone hates the Red Wings, as they should. Uh, this was recorded in August, so this was obviously after the Blues had captured Lord Stanley's Cup. We are talking Columbus Blue Jackets today on Let's Go Blues Radio Behind Enemy Lines. I'm joined by Eric and Will from The Cannon, uh, which is an SB Nation blog. Uh, we'll get to them in a minute. First of all, I want to give the record for the Blues all-time against the Columbus Blue Jackets, former division rivals. Uh, 85 games played. The Blues are 51-28-3-3. And, and remember, one of those is overtime losses. One of those is ties. Uh, first meeting between these teams was on December 26, 2000. That was in Columbus. It was a 5 nothing win for the Blues. Scott Young and Pavel Dimitra scored two goals each. No idea why I didn't put who got the shutout there. So uh, I will I will include that in the open. And if uh, I forgot it, then get on Twitter and yell at me because uh, I should have included it here and I completely forgot. So we'll go ahead and get to Eric and Will. I'm going to guess 2000. Uh, that was Roman Turek. Let's just go ahead and go with that. Uh, Eric and Will from the Canon. Uh, you guys, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks yeah, for thanks. rubbing in. Thanks for rubbing in all those terrible stats. <laughs> 
<laughs> expansion yeah. year? Come on, that's going to happen. You guys have to be used to that by now. Um, unless yeah. we're the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see how Seattle does. Man, they really stepped up their game, and it's like, man, any expansion team now has a lot to live up to. Yeah, I hate to be Seattle right now. Yeah, good luck, Seattle. Um, yeah, that's uh, – I, I, every time I see that, I, every time I look at the old uh, the old stats from expansion teams, I think, man, that's, uh, that's, that's definitely the old days of the NHL because I would imagine now that most uh, expansion teams are probably going to be pretty competitive like Vegas. Maybe not – to the same extent, but they're probably going to be pretty decent. So looking at the uh, the Blue Jackets and Blues history, as I said, uh, first meeting was in 2000. Uh, Blue Jackets had joined the Central Division at that time. Uh, that was right around the same time the Nashville Predators came into the league. So two new division rivals for the Blues. Uh, expansion teams made it kind of easy on uh, teams like uh, St. Louis and uh, and Detroit and even Dallas. Uh, for, you know, having to face off against these uh, pretty easy teams at the time. Um, but uh, in the early years, I've always said, I used to say this about the Blue Jackets all the time, I actually really respected the Blue Jackets for the way they came into the league. Uh, yeah, they didn't have the goal-scoring talent. Rick Nash wasn't there yet. But the Blues were a skilled team. And the Blue Jackets, they always came at them so hard. It was always such a heavy-hitting game. And obviously you got guys on the Blues like Chris Pronger, who uh, has no problem dropping them, but like the Blue Jackets, they they came at them hard, and it was always a tough game. Uh, so let me ask you: when when you guys came into the league, when your team first joined the NHL, and uh, I you know I don't know if you guys were fans yet, but at that time, I'm sure you know people that were. Um, were the Blues considered a rival at that point, or was it somebody else? Um. Well, I I I was a fan basically from day one. Um, I'm from Columbus. Uh, I'm Eric, for those of you, uh, just to kind of get my voice out there. But, um, yeah, um, I'm from Columbus. Uh, the The Blues weren't really the rival that uh, most, most Blue Jackets fans, if they had to pick a rival year one, would have picked Detroit, mostly just because of the Ohio State-Michigan uh, connection there. You know, we, we, we here in Columbus cannot let that go literally ever, as you – may have seen we're trying to the university is trying to trademark the word the right now so <laughs> um the blue the blues the blues were one of those teams that were annoying only because whenever you guys came to town we expected to get our teeth kicked in because and we routinely did um but yeah i'd say between you guys nashville and uh detroit those were the three main antagonists that we tended to see here in columbus it's so funny to hear you say that, that Detroit was the rival because every single person I talked to about the late 90s or 2000s in this series, it's, hey, what, did you consider the Blues a rival? Eh, kind of, but it was mostly Detroit. That's been <laughs> almost everybody's response. <laughs> Are they still kind of your big rival at this point? No. No? No way. I don't consider that at all in a way. Well, I mean, only because, I mean, geographically, sure, they're right there, but we only see them maybe, what, two, three times well, yeah, three, times, three a times a year. Yeah, yeah, and it's just not what it was. In fact, Columbus finally—I mean, I never thought that they would come when they would actually have the upper hand over the Red Wings. Now, pretty much just based on the way things are obviously going for both teams. But yeah, kind of going back to your original question. Um, and by the way, I'm Will. But um, yeah, 
I never, I don't know if I would say I thought of St. Louis as our rival outside of just the general concept of they're our division conference rival. But for me, it was definitely Detroit because they were always kind of the, the class of the NHL. They were the team you had to go through. But then Nashville, because they just completely annihilated Columbus, maybe even more so than Detroit, it seems like, at times. There was a horrible streak there for a while where the Predators were just manhandling Columbus every single time. And then I guess for me, kind of personally, the Blackhawks, just because we were both – Columbus and Chicago were both pretty bad about the same time. And I, I grew up uh, kind of that Chicago connection on my dad's side. So I kind of liked the Hawks before Columbus got a team. So it was kind of great to see them in person. But then – they were just two bad teams. So, right. um, but I guess throughout the years, uh, you know, there's definitely some moments with St. Louis that kind of stick out to me as well, personally. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I said, that uh, it, it was always for me, like uh, it was an interesting kind of dynamic between the two teams. Cause I always felt like the blues were going to beat them in the early years. It was always, yeah, blues probably have the upper hand here, but it was always kind of like, I just hope they get out of this game unscathed. I hope they don't have, four guys uh, going down with injuries because, again, Columbus just came after him. The, the name that comes to mind for me early on is Jody Shelley. That yep. was a guy yeah. who just always just brought his A game, uh, just bang and bruise the Blues as much as he could. Um, I've, I've mentioned to you guys in some some talking points here that the Blue Jackets in their first season were actually 1-2-2 two, and two against the Blues, which really isn't bad considering the Blues were kind of cup favorites that first year, and uh, the Blue Jackets were able to to scrape together four points against them. Not bad at all. Um, but of those early teams, uh, you know, let me go ahead and ask you guys, since you've been fans for a while, uh, when you look at the early names, obviously Rick Nash, uh, I think it was the third season he came in, but maybe even outside of him, uh, who was one of the more fan favorites there in Columbus? Jeff um, Sanderson. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was a big fan of his. He was good. Fan, fans in Columbus loved Jeff Sanderson. Um, he was a big fan favorite. Ron Tugnut. Uh, back when he, he was the he was the goaltender, the original during the expansion year. Um, fan fans really enjoyed him. Uh, you see, see, you see a, the occasional Ron Tugnut jersey in the arena. Still, it's it's pretty cool when that happens. I always forget you had Ray Whitney as well. Yeah, Ray Whitney. Yep, I was about to say him. Um, yeah, Sanderson and Whitney for me were kind of the two big names I think of. But actually, for me, I think Jody Shelley is almost like. I mean, he was such a fan favorite, and then, you know, today, because he's still, he's doing their color uh, commentary for the team, so he's still a prominent face for the Jackets, but, um, yeah, I mean, and obviously you got, like, Rick Nash, that's a little bit later on, well, a little bit later on, 2002, really, but, um, yeah, Sanderson, uh, you know, Tugnut, Tugnut, I think, came to my school as a kid, so I was already kind of knowing, like, knowing who he was, um, but, yeah, Jody Shelley, for me, kind of, sort of set that, I guess set that tone for me in a way because he was a guy that even if the team was bad, he was always going to, like you mentioned earlier, he was going to make himself known to the other team more often than not. Yeah. I remember uh, you mentioned Rick Nash and we'll go ahead and get into him a little bit. I, uh, I remember early on um, him scoring a pretty unbelievable shootout goal. And I think it was uh, against Curtis Sanford when he was with the blues still Um he did a one-handed, like he was going to his forehand, and then he faked and brought it back one-handed, uh, completely stretched out his giant frame, and uh, kind of Sanderson or uh, Sanford had no no chance on the play. And that's the kind of goals that I remember him really scoring all the time. Obviously, 
Unfortunately, he just retired, uh, uh, I believe it was two years ago now, because uh, of uh, concussion issues. But uh, Rick Nash, I mean, he's, is he still a guy that's uh, held in high regard there in Columbus? Uh, sort of. There, there was a lot of there was a lot of animosity and a lot of people who were very disappointed with kind of the way his tenure here ended. Obviously, you know, he was the first, he was the first number one overall pick um, to date, the only number one overall pick the blue jackets have had. And he was kind of seen as this is the guy who's going to legitimize hockey in Columbus, you know, give us that true superstar, lead us to the playoffs and, you know, be, be the captain of this team for his entire career. And that never really materialized. Um, kind of culminated with that disastrous year where uh, the Jackets traded for Jeff Carter and then traded him at the trade deadline uh, because Carter did not want to be here under any circumstances. Right. Um, and then that, and then it came out that Nash asked for a trade and he kind of denied it, but then admitted it. And there was a lot of like, eventually fans just kind of got fed up and were like, you know, get this guy out of here. Um, just kind of in this saga. It's kind of similar to what we saw with the Panarin and Bobrovsky situations last year. And then the very, the very next time that Rick Nash comes back to Columbus, there's kind of a, uh, his, in his first time back with the New York Rangers, there was a scuffle in front of the net and he ended up shoving Sergei Bobrovsky and the fans just went nuts. Like I was in the arena for Nash's return game and there, there was a, like, they played a welcome video. There was a, it was about 50-50 cheers and boos um, in the arena. But once he shoved Bobrovsky, the entire arena turned on him. It was You could, like, feel the energy in the arena, like, angry at him. And then, so, yeah, so he shoves Bobrovsky. The fans start booing him every time he touches the puck. And then, like, a period later, he ends up fighting Matt Calvert. Um, wow. Yeah, it, Rick, Rick Nash ends up throwing down with Matt Calvert. It was... But now, now that enough time has passed, he's he's now retired and he's back with the uh, he's back with the team in a front office role. It seems like you know bygones are bygones, and Rick Nash is going to be with the Jackets for a long time. Yeah, I uh, I kind of like for me it was I was kind of on Nash's side because I mean he was the captain for the Jackets for you know, a while. And it was, it was at the point where the team, it was basically Rick Nash or nothing because without him, you know, they were barely a playoff team anyway, or even with him, they were barely a playoff team. And so for me, it was like, they need to just go their separate ways if they're not going to be able to add around him, build around him. So I didn't mind him wanting to go elsewhere because I thought, uh, you know, he wants to win and maybe the Jackets would benefit from moving him if they get the right pieces back, which, in a sense, they did. I mean, they got Dubinsky and need some off and some other parts. But um, I thought they both had gone, had gone as far as they could with each other. Um, so I was never one to be against Nash. But when he went to the Rangers, I, I took an extra joy of wanting to beat him. And I have, like, Rangers friends who would like to go back and forth with me. So, obviously, it was kind of extra incentive to want to beat them. But um, I'm not surprised when he retired that he essentially or has come back to the organization working in a front office type role. So, um, and being that quote unquote ambassador. So, um, I, I don't know. There's a lot of, and there's a lot of connections too, but the Rangers and jackets and all the people going back and forth. But, um, as far as Nash though, um, I'm, I've always been pretty much, uh, I guess with him more than against him. Hmm. 
Uh, so something that uh, comes to mind about Rick Nash and uh, something I, I made sure to send over to you guys. I'm not sure if you remember it, but uh, back in March of 2009, the Blues had some back-to-back games against the Blue Jackets. Uh, this is when they were still in the same division. Uh, TJ Oshie, kind of a fan favorite here in St. Louis. Uh, he laid two pretty big hits on in those games, and uh, and everybody in St. Louis kind of started uh, started just speculating, I guess, that maybe Nash wasn't as tough as he looked, and that kind of became like a rallying cry in St. Louis. Oh, well, little Oshie can take out the big Nash. I mean, obviously, Nash isn't as tough as he looks. Uh, do you, first of all, do you guys remember those hits, and, and is there any truth to those statements? Well, I definitely remember that hit, and I, I hated Oshie ever since after that, although <laughs> my, my stance has kind of softened, I guess, a little bit, but... Oh, I mean, now he's with the Capitals, and I hate the Capitals because they're. I'm in. I'm in Virginia, and they're kind of the team I like to hate against, just because they play Columbus all the time. But anyway, as far as Oshi, like I respect Oshi. I have really, really no issue with him. But I do remember those hits, and it's crazy to be thinking back how long ago that was now. But um, it's funny though, talking about Nash when he was fighting Calvert. I mean, it's funny though because at least my initial memory, I guess, with Nash was a guy like Shelley was there to, quote, like, protect him or be the enforcer for a guy like Nash. So it was like, I would, I don't know, I guess maybe when he was in New York, maybe more so throughout his career, uh, he would kind of, Nash would, I guess, drop the gloves a little bit more or show that he can bring that that powerful, you know, touch to the game when needed. But, yeah, I mean, I never really thought of him as a fighter, obviously, but... Um, and I, I do remember, though, thinking, like, how how did Osha just truck Nash like that? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't really remember, despite his significant size and frame, I don't ever really remember Rick Nash as being, you know, one of those heavy players. I mean, yeah. you know, he wasn't exactly, I mean, he, he, he would drop the gloves when necessary, lay a heavy hit when he had to, but he was never really the tough guy that his stature made him out to be, at least not to my memory. Yeah, that reminds me of a couple Blues defensemen from the past. Uh, uh, Todd Reardon comes to mind, current head coach of the Washington Capitals. Yeah, yeah. That was always kind of a knock on him, and uh, you even kind of hear that about Pareko now, even though he's yeah. one of the perennial defensemen in the NHL. You always kind of hear, oh, I wish he was more physical. Right, yeah. and that was always that was always kind of my – what always bothered me about Rick Nash. Like, I, I, I should come clean. I, I liked Rick Nash a lot. But for my for the entirety of his in, in, career in Columbus, I was my dad and I were perennially trying to trade him for like Pavel Datsuk or Jerome McGinley, <laughs> like just you know so, someone who was more of a playmaker, someone who'd be willing more willing to do the hard work because it just and I get that Nash wasn't playing for winning teams a lot, and I didn't really watch a ton of his games for the Rangers, so maybe he you know was willing to do more of the work when he was playing for a winner, but. It really just kind of bothered me that, you know, you'd, sometimes you'd see him, like, take a shift or t- shift off here and there. And it just kind of, you know, Col- Columbus, the, the Blue Jackets have always been, seem, seems like they've always been built on that blue collar. You know, we don't have that high that high caliber goal scorer, so we're going to wor- outwork you to death. So, mm-hmm. and it just kind of was frustrating watching Rick Nash at times. Um, so something I, I wanted to touch on, which obviously we're going to talk, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Ken Hitchcock and his tenure with both of our teams. But uh, as I mentioned, you know, kind of division rivals there, Blues and Blue Jackets, obviously Detroit uh, bigger at the time for both teams uh, being a bigger rival. But 2013-2014, uh, that was the year that marked the uh, the year the, the Blue Jackets and the Red Wings moved over to the East. 
and uh, the league reshuffled, went from six divisions down to four. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys, kind of as as fans or, or, or however you want to consider yourselves, bloggers, podcasters of the Blue Jackets, um, when that team kind of shifted to the Eastern Conference and all of a sudden the teams you were seeing four, five, six times a year moved down to two and then vice versa. The teams you were seeing twice a year, you started seeing four, five, six times a year. Um, what was that like to, to kind of go through that and kind of relearn the league a little bit just to, uh, to know like, okay, our division rivals now has to be X, Y, Z. Um, well, first of all, it meant no more late nights, you know, not, or not as many late nights, which was absolutely fantastic. I didn't have to track the jackets going to Vancouver and Calgary a few times a year. So that was really nice. But, uh, I was I was happy that the even though they didn't stay in our division, Detroit came to the East as well. Like I said, or like I mentioned earlier, the Ohio State, or the Ohio Michigan connection there just kind of, you know, if if the if Detroit's coming East, I want I want to go East too because I want to continue beating up on those guys. And at that time, Detroit was still you know challenging for Stanley Cups. Their playoff streak was still intact, um, all that jazz, but. When we came east, I wasn't really sure what to expect. Uh, you know, I knew some of the teams over here. The Devils, obviously, in the two thousand mid in that uh, in the two thousands, were real good. But I didn't really anticipate hating the Pittsburgh Penguins as much as I do now. I absolutely <laughs> despise that franchise. Um, I've I've always said that my my first act as sports czar in the United States would be to eliminate that franchise from the annals of history. <laughs> but yeah, so, so it was, but, but I really, I think it's been uh, the better move for Columbus long-term. Yeah. Um, and I've always lived on the East coast anyway. So I guess for me, it was a natural thing, I guess, because like I live in Virginia now, I used to live in Columbus, but I live in Virginia now. So it's been great because the Jackets visit DC at, you know, three, two, three times a year and they go back, you know, out there. But, um, so I kind of get to check out the Jackets here in DC or obviously just watching the East coast games. And, but, um, yeah, I mean, and to, uh, true to what Seed said about Pittsburgh and I didn't really think I'd hate them like I do too, just because I have a Penguins friend who just is an old, he's great at being a troll. So, you know, just more animosity there at Pittsburgh, but, and just their playoff battles and some of the games that they've had between those two teams. But um, yeah, in fact, what, what I really think about though is Columbus was in the Western conference when the, the West was at the height of the league for that time. And then I thought if they could go to the East, they would be a better team anyway, because the level of competition seems to drop off a little bit. So just as they go to the Eastern conference, now the East has become like a juggernaut again with like teams like Tampa Bay, that playoff sweep, notwithstanding, by the way, or, um, you know, like the Capitals, the, I mean, they're, they're, they were in the central division, maybe the best division in the game a decade ago. And now they're the Metro, which has had the cup, uh, too many times to count now the last few years. So it just seems to be that Columbus's bad luck is going to either be in a, a conference that is at, like the height of the league at that time, or at least that division. But I don't mind that because you've got to beat the best to be the best. And it gives them a chance to kind of, you know, measuring stick against the, the teams they're playing. So it's cool to see them, um, you know, in the, on the Eastern seaboard, I guess, uh, you know, playing teams like Boston or, you know, Tampa Bay or Detroit even, or, you know, just to kind of see how they would stick up or measure up against some of these teams out here. 
I, I want to add right now real quick. Uh, you mentioned that the Metro was won the Stanley Cup uh, uh, for too many times to count. I just want to remind Blues fans that are listening to this that the Stanley Cup is now in the Central Division in the Gateway City. So in case true. you forgot, it's I true. just wanted to remind the Blues fans about that. Nothing against Blue Jackets fans. Just, uh, you know, it's, well, it's nice It's nice to hear every now and then. I was, <laughs> frankly, I frankly, I'm just happy we won a playoff series finally because yeah. <laughs> that was incredibly annoying hearing that forever. And I want to add, too, that I don't mind the Bruins going down, obviously. So it, it, it could be a worst-case scenario. Again, that is something that I've heard pretty much every episode of this series, with the exception of the Boston Bruins episode, <laughs> is, hey, we're just happy that you beat the uh the 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 Boston Bruins. So, yeah, you guys you guys have joined uh, all the company that I've had in in saying that because there really is a lot of hate for the Boston Bruins. Yeah. I think there's a lot of hate for Boston sports in general. Like yes. I am a I'm a Los Angeles Rams fan for the NFL. My family Oh boy. Really, my my Oh yeah. So, <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I, yeah, I've had I've had a I've had a great year when it comes to Boston ending my team seasons. I'm I'm having a wonderful time over here. <laughs> Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah, let me tell you, the uh, St. Louis fans will love hearing that you're an LA Rams fan. Well, I when I well when I was a kid, the, when I was a kid, the the my parents didn't really care about the NFL, so I was kind of free to pick my own team. And they they had the greatest show on turf when I was there or when I was a kid. So yeah, I like cheering for these guys. They're fun. And yeah. then I suffered through all of those losing years, all of the whole them taking the team away from St. Louis and. So I kind of, you know, feel bad for him, but I didn't give him up because, like, I don't live in St. Louis. So Right. Yeah, there's still a, a good portion of uh, St. Louisans that still cheer on the Rams just because they didn't want to, you know, the, you started seeing the turnaround there, like, right as uh, they moved. And it was like, oh, now they got these draft picks and they're going to yeah, be good again. So I'm not giving right, them up right. now. <laughs> right. And then, you know, and then they hire a guy who's three years older than I am to right. coach the team. So. Yeah, instead of uh, good old good old Fisher. Jeff Fisher. Okay, oh, God. Good uh, let's uh, let's let's get uh, the Blues fans listening to this out of depression. Let's stop talking about the Rams. Let's get into uh, talking about, uh, like I said, Ken Hitchcock, kind of a, a central figure for both of our clubs. Uh, he coached the Jackets from 2007 2008 uh, through a portion of 2009 2010 before he was let go, and then obviously he uh, joined the Blues. In 2011, a big part of their turnaround um, was let go just a couple of years ago, but uh, still somebody that uh, I think most Blues fans would agree uh, was a major part in the Blues uh, kind of being a perennial playoff team again. Uh, so Ken Hitchcock, and obviously you guys know his coaching style. You know that it was defense first. Um, you know, let's uh, let's wear the other team down defensively, let them get shots, and then we're just going to, block everything we're going to keep them to the outside and when we get scoring chances we're going to take them uh was that the kind of coaching style did that piss off a lot of blue jackets fans because i'll tell you it did piss off a lot of blues fans um i don't really think it pissed any blue jackets fans off mostly because we didn't have all world goal scorers yeah. so the only way we were going to win games it seemed like was with defensive effort and great goaltendings and that's kind of been the mo for the blue jackets for the franchise history, um, Ken Hitchcock came in. The, he, I believe, he was the head coach when the Jackets went to their first ever yeah. uh, playoff appearance. Yeah, on the back of uh, Steve Mason's outstanding rookie season. Yep. 
um, which, you know, catch, catching lightning in a bottle there. But, uh, no, I don't know. Ken Hitchcock finally kind of, you know, gave the Blue Jackets a legitimate head coach who actually seemed to understand how to coach hockey. Uh, the the Doug McLean era of the franchise was finally over, and I, I cannot express my joy for um, Ken Hitchcock coming in and uh, taking over for Doug McLean and getting him out of the building. I think that might have been some one of the happiest days in Blue Jackets fans' history, but Ken Hitchcock is an instrumental part of Blue Jackets' history, and we – uh, fans here still really like him, even though it didn't it didn't last very long. And he, uh, but he did give us our first ever playoff appearance. So I can I have yeah. nothing bad to say about Ken Hitchcock. Yeah, same. Um, yeah, Hitchcock I guess was kind of the first, maybe like you know, outside of the organization, kind of like the first I don't know big time NHL name I guess maybe almost you know associated with the team. Um, I think that was obviously after Fedorov. But anyway, just thinking about kind of like a a notable guy to come in and try to turn the team around. And yeah, they did have that first playoff year. Um, I'm trying to remember. It had to be with Steve Mason then because I remember when um, I was at a game in D.C., the Caps were a juggernaut or turning into one anyway. They had like an 18-game home winning streak, and then Mason goes in there and shuts them down without Rick Nash. And Rick Nash was the only player people outside of Columbus knew about, really. So, yeah. that was before I remember it was like January and Columbus was like down the standings and then they got hot and made the playoffs and got destroyed by Detroit. But anyway, um, yeah, I had no real problem with Hitchcock um, until I mean, I just remember a couple of years later, they were supposed to try to keep the winning going and instead they lost like, I don't know, 23 out of 26 or something. And that was the end of that. But um, yeah, as far as Hitchcock, though, I mean, he had a pretty accomplished career and had a nice stop in Columbus, at least as far as playoffs go. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and again, I, I know I'm kind of saying that uh, he's not really liked here in St. Louis. There is a large contingent of people, and I think most would agree that uh, when he first came here and started making the Blues join the uh, playoffs first two, three years, there was a lot of, of love for Ken Hitchcock. It was just a matter of uh, the way he coached. You know, when you started seeing Tarasenko join the team and he was throwing him on the fourth line or keeping him. I remember the uh, a playoff series. I think it was the first year, the second year they played the Kings. Uh, Tarasenko was a healthy scratch except for one game. And in that one game, I think he played like four minutes. So that's when a lot of disdain for Hitchcock started because, hey, you finally got a goal scorer on this team and you're not playing him. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, say, yes. I was just yeah. about to say, you know what this sounds like? This sounds like the John Tortorella coaching <laughs> experience here in Columbus because um, I happen to have, I, I'm kind of one of John Tortorella's most vocal critics. Um, I don't. I don't super like his coaching style. I think he kind of handcuffed the team a little too much last year. Now, granted, there were some extenuating circumstances with all of the behind-the-scenes drama with Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky, and then you bring in Matt Duchesne and um, Adam McQuaid for all of 10 games and Ryan Dezingle. Um, But I think, like, you know, you you have all these goal scorers and you're trying to, you know, you're juggling the lines every 10 minutes of the game and – you know, you're, you're forcing guys like Ryan Dezingle onto third and fourth lines playing eight minutes a night where Brandon Dubinsky's playing 13. And Brandon Dubinsky isn't exactly the young guy he was anymore. It, it was just, It's just incredibly frustrating to see some of that. Um, so, yeah, I, th- and I think he had 
Tortorella has a very similar style to Hitchcock in that way, that they both play that defensive game. You're going to block shots, protect your goaltender, or at least try to, and then take advantage of goal-scoring opportunities where you can. Um, except on the power play, we don't really like doing that here. Um, but, yeah, so I, I just I, – it's yeah, the, that sounds like the, the latter years of Hitchcock and St. Louis sound a lot like what John Tortorella was doing to Columbus last year. Yeah, and just to add real fast, I, I've been a fan of Tortorella, but, I mean, I get the criticisms, and I've been critical at times, or, like, I kind of wonder about line usage or why a certain player is only playing six minutes. Like, what's the point? But I, I guess as far as just, like you said, Tarasenko on the fourth line, it reminds me of kind of like the Sonny Milano situation where it was like he could probably be up in Columbus, but he's had his own issues, and, you know, he's kind of like a prime candidate to need a fresh scenery elsewhere and just certain players – um but then a guy like, you know, he has all the praise in the world for like Pierre-Luc Dubois and uh, some of these younger players like Alexander Texier who came in and he was just like marveling at what they were able to provide just, you know, right into their NHL career. So he, he kind of comes off as a crusty coach who doesn't maybe, uh, I won't say like the younger players, but there have been certain guys that can have been able to thrive with him so far and then there's guys that maybe like Milano who haven't. So, yeah, I, I get the criticisms for sure. Yeah, I, I, I know a lot of people. I have a friend who's a, a very big Tampa Bay Lightning fan, and he said he was a big fan of his, but, you know, especially, you know, he brought Tampa its first cup. But at the same time, um, there was a lot of issues like that going on. And then I, I, know, I know a couple Rangers fans that said the same thing about him. So it seems like kind of the uh, – the status quo with him is uh, I'm going to hate on the younger players and I'm going to play the veterans. But, uh, you know, at least you're saying, like you said, I know Dubois was a big part of the team last year. And uh, when he was drafted, people thought, OK, in a couple of years, this kid's going to be great. And uh, I guess now you're probably expecting to see him uh, lead the offense after these uh, these moves this summer. Right. Yeah. Mom, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what Dubois does this year, especially, you know, I'm a little nervous because he's going to be away from Artemi Panarin for the first time in his career, but no, Dubois, Dubois has been great. And I, I have to admittedly eat a lot of crow because I was extremely angry on draft night that they did not draft Jesse Pugliarvi, which that, that, this is why I don't work in an NHL front office. Exactly. Yep. I was the same way. I remember saying that. Why would you not take Pugliarvi there? <laughs> But then again, I guess uh, Edmonton's where prospects go to die. Yeah. Entirely. That's fair. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And maybe Hitchcock's uh, career, too. I mean, Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he, uh, he went to Dallas and Edmonton for about a year each, and uh, yeah, yeah, it did not last long. It's weird. Yep. So uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about uh, the Blue Jackets a little bit um, coming up from, from this last offseason. They've kind of been a, a team that a lot of NHL pundits are talking about. Obviously, they lost... Uh, uh, Bobrovsky, they've lost uh, Panarin to free agency after uh, a big playoff, as you guys said. Uh, getting the first playoff win in franchise history was was awesome. And, uh, you know, having kind of a stacked lineup there with uh, adding a couple additions there in um, uh, the trade deadline. But uh, then again, uh, not, uh, not advancing past the second round. I'm sure that hurt a little bit. You probably expected a little more than that. Um, but Knowing what uh, everything that's happened with this franchise over the last uh, uh, couple of weeks, couple of months, um, what are you guys expecting for this upcoming season? Well, you want to go first? Yeah. So, all right. So, um, yeah. So, kind of, I guess 
obviously the Jackets lost quite a bit, whether it's goal scoring and Panarin or goaltending and Bobrovsky. I, for one, and Seeds will agree, and a lot of I think a lot of fans will agree that we weren't, not only were we not expecting a guy like Bobrovsky to come back, we weren't exactly wanting him to come back. And I say that meaning he had a great career in Columbus. He won two Vezinas. He got them out of the first round and the accolades go on. But for the for the most part, for the most part, he he obviously deserved the contract that he got with the uh, the Panthers. But Columbus was not in the position to have to overpay or pay that kind of deal to keep him because they have a lot of goaltending prospects. Which we're gonna find out just how good Elvis Merzliskins is. Uh, Jonas Corposalo has a chance, maybe his last chance to really take the starting job. Um, and for the first time since really Bobrovsky and Mason uh, a few years ago now, uh, there's a competition now in that. So. Columbus, I, I'm excited to see how a guy like Morris Liskins does. He has all the confidence. Now it's just up to him to prove that he is that guy to take the take over net. But um, again, Panarin, as much as I would have loved to keep Panarin, we pretty much knew that was not going to happen. And so it was like, all right, I'm kind of just ready to be over this drama of him and, and Bobrovsky. I think Duchesne was the one guy most of us wanted to have come back, and we and they offered him a boatload of money but he wants to go to Nashville and he should be happy so as far as what the team is and what they have now I'm pretty excited to see a guy like you know I want to see Atkinson I mean he's had some pretty good offensive numbers before Panarin I want to see if he can keep that going with Dubois and Gustav Nyquist seems to be a pretty good fit because he really wants to be there he's had a, a pretty good career to this point and he has a lot of chemistry with a guy like um, Alexander Winberg who has been you know criticized because his offense just fell off a mat. I mean, he doesn't shoot the puck and his offense really fell off after his career year back in 2016. So really interested to see how the young guys, Alexander Texier, which I mentioned, um, potentially a guy like Liam Foodie, who a lot of guys have some opportunities in camp coming up next month to try to take a spot or win a spot. And uh, just a lot of, it's kind of a new era and a, a pretty I would say a youth movement for Columbus. So it's going to be interesting. And I'm pretty optimistic. Well, I'm optimistic to see how it plays out. I don't know if it's going to be a playoff team. I think at the best, they're a playoff bubble type team. So uh, I'm sure there's growing pains and I'm sure I'll be pretty frustrated sooner than later. But looking big picture, I like the direction the roster is headed. So hopefully they, some guys just kind of stick to it or stick, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with pretty much what Will said. Uh, the goaltending is going to really determine what uh, what the future of the Blue Jackets are. They've got Jonas Corposalo. He's been Bob's backup for a few years. Elvis Merzlikens came in. He's uh, He's been playing over in the, the Swedish League. Um, one was Latvia's goaltender of the year. Uh, led them to uh, – they played pretty well in, like, the IHFs uh, in the Worlds. Um so we'll see. We'll see what the Jackets do, and then they, the Jackets have some other goaltending prospects um, down the line. So, so it's yeah. The, like like Will said, we didn't really expect Sergei Bobrovsky to come back, and the Jackets probably were in the right to not give them the. I mean, granted, he's got a few years left where he's going to be an elite goaltender, but paying seventy mil, or seven seventy million dollars over seven years for a goaltender on the wrong side of thirty is just not in my philosophy of how you build a winning hockey team for a long time. And the Jackets are such a young team. They've been one of the youngest teams in the NHL for the last three, four years. Um, this it's The Jackets are set up to uh, 
be a good team in a couple of years. They just, you know, this isn't a rebuild so much as a step back and reload. Uh, I'm excited to see what Gustav Nyquist adds to the team. Hopefully, like Will said, he can get Alexander Winberg going. Uh, Winberg, despite being just like 24, 25, has he's he had a he had a 59 point season and then his points have steadily decreased and he averages fewer than one shot on net per game and hasn't scored a five on five goal in two years now. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. And this this guy this guy is currently pegged as our second line center, so the Blue Tackets have an actual problem at center, which is why a lot of us wanted to keep Matt Duchesne and Granted, he it came out in an interview that he his family just had their heart set on Nashville, which everyone kind of suspected, and I can't really fault him for that. But man, it would have been nice to keep him around. Yeah. yeah. So it's just it's it'll be it'll be in, the goaltending, and if the Blue Jackets can figure out something at center, they ha- they do kind of have a glut of defensemen. Maybe they can make a move, figure something out. Maybe Liam Foodie sticks in camp. He's gonna they're gonna get opportunities. All the youth players, all the young players, like. Uh, you know, Bemstrom's coming over. He's a Swedish kid who's uh, apparently got a wicked, wicked shot from the from Ovechkin's office. He'll he'll get a look in camp. It'll be it'll be a young team. The core is uh, turning over. It's basically Seth Jones, Zach Warinsky, and PLD's team now. So we'll see what happens. I will give you guys one thing. I think that in terms of goaltending, uh, that's probably the one duo in the NHL that's going to be the hardest to pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> Jonas yeah, Carposalo, and how do you say that backup's name? Elvis Merzlikens, I think. Merzlikens. Yeah. That's interesting. All right. Well, that'll be fun for uh, for NBC Sports Analysts. Yeah. <laughs> well, all they, all they seem to know are Bobrovsky and Panarin, so, you know. Oh, don't worry. They uh, they still can't say Petrangelo's name. He's still Peter Angelo to them. Oh. <laughs> Makes no sense. Even Darren Payne got on... Uh, Twitter during the playoffs and said, who is this Peter Angelo guy? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bad. Um, yeah, so we, we're used to that. Um, yeah, there was a couple. I think uh, Sarasenko was another name that came out a lot. Oh. Sarasenko. It's like, there's not even an S there. Where does that come from? I mean, uh, our own our own play-by-play guy gets calls Dubois Dubinsky on the regular, so. <laughs> well, at least he's getting players' names right, just not the right ones. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, thanks, guys. It's been great. I really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, I want to give you guys plenty of time here at the end to uh, tell my listeners how they can find you, your blog, your podcast, how they can interact with you on social media, uh, anything you want to promote here. Now is the time. Yeah. yeah so um, uh, Go ahead. Go ahead. Cool. Yeah, so you can follow us at the Canon, uh, at CBJ Canon on Twitter, jacketscanon.com. Um, we have our podcast, the Canon Cast, and I'm at Twitter on Twitter at uh, at Will Chase underscore. And I know I'll, I'm sure I'll be doing some Blue Jacket Blues previews or recaps at some point in the near future. Yeah, um, yeah, like Will said, jacketscanon.com. Uh, our podcast, the Canon Cast, is on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, I can be found at Eric underscore seeds on Twitter and yeah, come, uh, come hang out with us. Well, and hopefully we'll see you guys in the playoffs in the uh, Stanley cup finals here soon. That would be fantastic. Yeah. We've uh, we've the, the conversation we always had before the blues uh, finally did it this year was, man, it would be really cool if we could uh, have a Stanley cup run 
of uh, you know kind of facing all the former demons, getting the Kings out of the way, getting the Blackhawks, and then maybe like the Wild or the Stars or the Sharks, and then the playoff in the final maybe meeting the Red Wings. So that's that's still kind of the uh, the hope here in St. Louis, but it seems like uh, we're probably more destined to play the Blue Jackets if that happens again because Detroit's going to take a little while to get back there. Yeah, uh, as long as the Blue Jackets, whenever they win the Stanley Cup sometime in the future, as long as they can beat the Penguins in route, I don't really care who else they play. I just want to beat <laughs> Pittsburgh. Yes, I hear you. Hey, man, I, you, made the, you made the comment earlier that you have a friend that's kind of a good troll that's a Penguins yeah. fan. I'm like, isn't every Penguins fan a troll? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> that, That's what really got the hate going for me. One of my friends was like, I hate Pittsburgh. He had his own reasons, and that was one of them. And I was like, I don't mind him that much. But then our friends started chip chirping in during the playoffs. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I got it. Can't stand it. Yeah, get out of here. That's what yeah. I would have said. Right. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you joining the show. Yeah, thanks thank for you. having us. Well, I do want to add after that interview, uh, for those that were dying to find out who that goalie was in their first meeting for the Blues who got the shutout, uh, in that 5 nothing win on December 26th. I know everybody's dying to find out if it truly was Roman Turek. It was not. It was Brent Johnson. Of course, the great Brent Johnson, the shutout king of the playoffs. Brent Johnson got the shutout against the Blue Jackets in their first meeting back on December 26th, 2000. Well, again, I want to thank Eric and Will for coming on. The Twitter handles for this show, of course, the main Twitter is at LGB Radio. Kurt Price is at Kurt Price. Bill Day's at Billy Blue Note. And myself, Jeff Ponder, can be found at jponder94. Uh, don't mention this enough. We're also on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Um, just search for Let's Go Blues, Let's Go Blues Radio. Uh, and, of course, you could always be my friend on Facebook or follow me on Instagram. Uh, Instagram, I know I'm uh, jponder94. And uh, Facebook, just search Jeff Ponder. You should be able to find me. But, um, yeah, don't mention that enough. We're all over social media, so uh, feel free to be our friend, follow us, whatever the correct terminology is for said social media site. Uh, please do that because uh, we love interacting with our listeners, and I do want to thank everybody uh, who has tuned in for this summer because I know this has been uh, a lot of shows, and, and I'm, I'm hoping I provided enough content for everybody uh, who's been dying to hear more Blues Talk. Well, our next show, again, the last Behind Enemy Lines episode, Monday, September 30th, Cody Bueller from the Jets Nation. Uh, he joins me to talk, obviously, Winnipeg Jets, and there's a lot of talk about the 2019 opening round of the playoffs, so uh, I purposely ended on this one. I know a lot of people uh, paid attention to the kind of order I had going, where it was uh, uh, I was going by division. Well, the last couple weeks, that kind of got... Screwed up a little bit because I wanted to end on a Jets or uh, anyone from the Central Division. And so it got screwed up a little bit. But again, I don't think anybody really cares that much. Uh, but yeah, so we talk Cody Bueller, Jets Nation, talk Blues and Jets. That will be the last episode of the Behind Enemy Line series. And after that, we go back to our weekly live shows, which obviously already begun. Uh, we started that last Wednesday. So again, if you have not listened to that, Go over to letsgobluesradio.com, wherever you get your podcasts, and listen to that. Uh, we record live, but we podcast it the next day. So if we record on a Wednesday, you can expect Tuesday afternoon to have that show. Um, we like to record Wednesday nights, 
But uh, the Blues, obviously, opening their season against the Washington Capitals and raising that all-important banner. Uh, so we will not be recording Wednesday night. We will likely be doing it Tuesday. Uh, don't have an exact date on that. But again, if you follow us on social media, we'll make sure to make you aware. But of course, uh, on Monday, September 30th, when that episode airs against uh, with the behind enemy lines, I will probably have a date for you when that episode will be. But I would imagine it's going to be Tuesday night uh, before the home opener against the Washington Capitals. Well, that will conclude this episode. I want to thank everybody for listening. And again, one more episode of this series, guys. And then we are getting straight into our live shows every single week. So make sure you uh, find us on YouTube. And uh, again, 9 to 9.15, 9.30 p.m. Central Daylight Time. Typically when our shows uh, air, uh, whatever the said night is for that episode uh we'd love to have our our live participation which we get a lot of and we want to thank those that do that but at the same time again if you can't join us live we do podcasts so make sure uh just stay tuned whatever way you're getting this episode you will get the uh the new episodes the live episodes as well so uh don't go anywhere we will we will be back with episodes all season long so thank you for listening and until next time everyone let's go blues Play Gloria for a few more days, folks. Thanks for listening to the Hockey Show Blues Report of the Week. Have a great day. 